me again. Father, we thank you that you are the God who takes care of our problems, and especially you've taken care of our sin problem through your Son, Jesus Christ. We praise you, God, for your love. We praise you, Jesus, for your mercy in coming to us. We praise you, Holy Spirit, for your work to make us new. Help us now as we open up your word to understand and apply it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last Sunday we started a sermon series here at Cornerstone where we're going through chapters 1 through 8 of Romans. Now somebody came up to me after the service and said, why are we stopping at chapter 8? And uh, my answer was, well, I didn't want to rush through it all and I did want to get to things like our annual Thanksgiving and Christmas uh, series. So we're only going to do chapters 1 through 8, but chapters 1 through 8 really, uh, there's kind of a bookend on them. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, we went through the first half of Romans 1, and we looked at it as an introduction, and it explains to us what the book is about. It's about the gospel. And I was looking at 117. Oftentimes, you all know, when I preach through a book of the Bible, I like to pick out a key verse, and I like to challenge you all to pick out a key verse. But I think my key verse, we've already looked at it. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 17. Now, that's just my first guess at it. And again, I want you all to be reading and rereading this section of Scripture over the next few months as we study Romans 1 through 8. But I want you to pick out your key verse. But I'll tell you mine, at least my first guess here, Romans 1.17, which says, For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. We do not have a righteousness of our own. God is righteous, he is perfect, he is holy, we are not. And that is a big problem. If we want to spend eternity with God, that is a big problem that needs to be dealt with. But we learned last week that in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. That means he gives righteousness to us. And what we're going to see in our passage today is that's a great deal because we don't have righteousness. In fact, the description of us is far worse than that. It's sinful, unholy, unrighteous. That's what we bring to the table. Um, But God wanted us to know this good news. That's why that important word revealed is there in verse 17. So look again, I put that in your bulletins. It's also in your Bibles, of course. Romans 1.17. In the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, is given to us, is made known to us. But I want you to look ahead then to verse 18 and we're going to see that word revealed again. Something else is revealed. It says the wrath of God is being revealed. Now wrath is not a pleasant deal. So here's what's happening in the flow of Romans. The first half of chapter 1 was an introduction. And then for the next two chapters, Paul goes on to tell the bad news. It's almost like he went up to somebody and he said, what do you want to hear first, the good news or the bad news? What do you guys say? Somebody asks you that question. You want the good news or the bad news first? I'm kind of a bad news person. Give me the bad news first and then the good news. And that's, that's kind of what Paul is doing here. He says, I'm going to tell you the good news later. There is good news, I promise you. But we need to understand the bad news first. So starting in 118, it's the bad news. And we're going to spend a few weeks actually understanding what this bad news is. And the reason we're doing it is not just to, you know, to bum ourselves out. The reason we're doing it is like in that paddle boat, we want to figure out what went wrong. And God's going to tell us here in his mercy. So what we're going to do today is we're going to walk through the second half of Romans 1. I'm going to break it down into five little sections. 
And each part will give us a glimpse of the bad news of sin. And hopefully what happens then is that this helps us understand our sin problem so that we can flee from it. So first I want to read verses 18 through 20. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Now again, that key word revealed. The gospel is revealed in verse 17. The wrath of God is revealed in verse 18. What is wrath? Well, a couple theologians here to help you. Doug Moo, one of them, he says, Wrath is the necessary reaction of a holy God to sin. So you picture a holy God who never does anything wrong. He sees everything that goes on in the world. And then you think about sin. How is a holy God supposed to respond to sin? Well, the answer is wrath. God will punish wrath. John Stott says God has a holy hostility to evil. That means not only is he hostile against it, but he is perfectly justified in being hostile against evil. Um, John Stott also, also said that God has a refusal to condone evil, and then eventually God will send his judgment on evil. Now, we might cringe at that idea. Who, who here just loves the idea of the wrath of God? Well, no, it's kind of a kind of a saddening, sobering thing to think about, but I would like to suggest to you that we should be glad that God is wrathful towards evil. Why is that? Well, imagine a God who didn't care about evil. Imagine a God who was completely powerful and saw all the evil that was going on and just said, I don't care. Imagine a God who just always let it go. Now, it might feel like here on earth God does let evil go, and in fact, we'll learn that actually sometimes he does let evil go for a time, but rest assured, God has a plan to deal finally with evil, and we would have it no other way. We, are, we should be thankful that God will take care of evil and allow us to live with him in perfection for the rest of eternity. So God has a plan to punish evil, and God has made this known. So don't be caught off guard. That was one of the things that stood out to me just last night after I had already planned my sermon. I was just reading through this section again. This idea that God has made this known to us. He's going to punish evil. There will be a day when God will take full care of it. For now, what he says to us is that he wants us to know that there is a plan for it. So do not be caught off guard. Don't go to Judgment Day and pretend like it's the first time you've ever heard about this. God will punish evil. So why is God's wrath revealed? Well, it says in verse 18, because people suppress the truth by their wickedness. According to that verse, there were things about God that people knew, but they either neglected it or rejected it. What truth are we talking about? Well, verses 19 to 20 tell us some other things that have been revealed. Theologians often call a verse like this, uh, verse speaking about general revelation. That is things that can be generally known from any person in the world about who God is simply by looking at what God has created. And, and that's what God is saying here. You don't need to have a master's degree to be able to look at the stars and say, hey, somebody must have made that. 
It's, it's actually one of the ways that God has made himself known to us. Just like you might look at a, a beautiful piece of art or a masterfully crafted house and say, who made this? We're supposed to look around us and understand God made this. And, and I've told this story many times here, but I'll say it again real quickly. For me, this was huge in my walk with God. As I was struggling with these questions, I, I already put my faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, but then came the questions. Some people ask their questions first. I kind of jumped on board and then asked my questions. And my, one of my biggest questions, probably the biggest one actually, was do I, am I just making this all up? Does God really exist? And you know where my answer came from? Some of you know it because I've said it many times. Looking at the stars. I remember one night walking home on a, a beautiful starry night, looking at the stars, looking at the moon, and just, it's like the, it just clicked for me. God made this. There is no other explanation than that God made this. See, God is making himself known. He says that men are without excuse. His divine, what does it say? His divine nature and eternal power have been clearly seen. We have no excuse. So again, we shouldn't just expect to show up on Judgment Day and say, God, how was I supposed to know you existed? He's got an answer. I created everything. That's, that's who God is. So general revelation should help us understand that God created us, and because he created us, we should seek him. Now, general revelation alone isn't enough to save us. We need the message of Jesus Christ in order to be saved. But general revelation is enough for us to be stirred to seek him. So that's what we should do. We should seek God, seek to figure out who he is, how we can live rightly for him. And if we don't, we don't have any excuse. But as we've seen, some people suppress that truth, and that's why God's wrath is revealed also why the gospel is necessary. Let's move on. Verses 21 to 23. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. These verses start off by saying they knew God. Now, I, I don't think that we should take that to mean that they had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I think what it means is that they knew about God. They knew that he existed. At the least, through general revelation, they should have known that. And then just stop for a moment and think about all the other ways that God has revealed himself to us. Two huge ones stand out to me. Through his word, the Bible, and through his son, Jesus Christ. God has revealed himself to us. We are without excuse. We should know that he is God. We should follow him. But some people suppress the truth. And look what, verse 21 I think is key here in our passage. I want to read it again, the first part. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. I've entitled this sermon, Spiraling Down into Sin. And you remember from the children's sermon that I gave, we talked about that paddle boat. Our paddle boat started by just taking on a little bit of water, but by the time we could get ourselves turned around, it was already really bad, and our boat was kind of spiraling down into the lake. And I think that that's what oftentimes happens with sin. Sin starts with something that might not look so bad, 
but after not too long sometimes, the spiral has gone so far down that uh, it's in a path, it's a, a really terrible one. So here in verse 21, we see the first misstep. We see the paddle boat starting to take on water. Eventually in this passage, we'll see 26 sins by my count. Starting in verse 21 through the end of this section, we'll see 26 sins. The first one I would like to suggest to you is, is the really terrible misstep. Um, what is that first sin? It's the sin of neglecting God. It says, although they knew him, they didn't glorify him or give him thanks. They maybe just thought, oh, I don't need to, I don't need to worship him. I don't need to think about him. And they kind of charted their own course of life. And not focusing rightly on God led immediately to futile thinking, darkness of heart, and foolishness. And by verse 23, they're already exchanging God's glory for images of man and animals. That's the second sin of those 26, idolatry. So the first misstep was to neglect God, to not give him thanks, and by the second step, they're already worshiping something else. And that's the way that he, we humans work. We will worship something, whether that's God, who's the only one who is worthy of worship, or whether it's something or someone else, or even ourselves. We will worship something. And let me say it like this. We humans tend to replace God's truth with sin. That's the natural way of things, according to the sinful nature. We replace God's truth with sin. Verse 23 uses the word exchange. That's a key word in our passage, showing up three times. I'm going to point it out again. But perhaps the most forceful of these is in verse 25, where it says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. How do you think God will respond to this exchange, to people neglecting him and worshiping other gods. Well, let me read for you the first part of verse 24. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts. In response to this sinful exchange, it says God gave them over, and it is a terrifying thing. For people who suppress God's truth or neglect Him or choose a different path, God has a response. Giving people over to their sin. Again, let's go to the theologian to describe this. Doug Moo says this giving over means that he simply lets humans deal with the consequences of their sins. We, we like to think of God as a God who takes care of things, right? If we have a problem, we want to be able to go to God and say, God, help! God gives people over to their sins sometimes and just says, Go your own way. John Stott says this is part of God's wrath. We're talking about God's wrath today. Well, eventually, on Judgment Day, God is going to pour out his wrath. But part of his wrath is right now in that God gives people over to sin. John Ziesler says this is God letting men and women go their own way. A pastor friend of mine said that this is God taking the constraints off. So picture it this way. Sinful, rebellious human beings rebelling against God, saying, God, let me go my own way. And finally God says, okay, go your own way. Now to the, to the sinful human, and for, even for us as we're stuck in sin, we might think, all right, I get to do what I want. But this is not a good deal. More water is coming into the boat. The spiral is in full force already. 
And let's read what happens as this sin spiral continues. And remember, we've only really talked about two of the sins so far, but already it's really bad. Let's look at verses 24 to 27 now. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Just a few notes here before I I dive into these verses. First, I preached on these verses back in November 2012. Some of you might remember that. Um, And I went into much greater detail in that sermon than I will today, just for time issues. But if you're interested in hearing more of my thoughts on this topic of sexuality, you can go to our website, click on sermons, and go back to November 2012, and you can listen to more there. Second note, my desire today is just simply to say what the Bible says. I believe that the clear teaching of the Bible is that homosexuality is sin. Now, I don't say that because of my own personal agenda. I say it because I believe that God's Word says it, and I believe that the Bible is God's Word. Now, some people would vehemently disagree with me on that. But I would just like to say to you today, all I'm trying to do is show you what God's Word says, and I want you to embrace this as God's Word. And then third, I am not a gay hater or homophobe. Again, my heart is simply today that people would embrace God's teaching on this topic. He has revealed things to us about this. Okay. And then again, remember that what we see in these verses has come as a result already of people suppressing God's truth, exchanging it for a lie, and then God giving them over to sin. And it's not just about homosexuality. Actually, before Paul mentions that, he mentions sexual impurity in general. So let me say this. There are lots of heterosexual sins that people get involved in. Things like lust and pornography and sex before marriage and adultery. And if you are caught in any of those, even if it might just seem like this little harmless looking at the computer sort of a thing, if you're caught in any of those things, I urge you to... Take this mindset that the boat is taking on water and you need to flee from it. Well, the paddleboat analogy, I guess, turn around. Jesus can get you back to shore. He can deal with your sin. But please, know that if you're caught in it, you have gone down a wrong path. And now briefly, let's deal with the issue of homosexuality. The teaching here, I believe, is very, very clear. Uses phrases like shameful lusts, unnatural, inflamed with lust, indecent acts, perversion. And again, remember that all of this has already come because people have suppressed the truth and exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and their thinking has become futile. One of those words I want to point out unnatural means that it has gone against God's created order. God created sex, and in marriage, it's a good thing, but God created it only for marriage. And the only way that we see God speaking of marriage in the Bible is one man and one woman. And by the way, one of the strongest arguments we see for homosexuality being a sin is that nowhere in the Bible do we see it addressed as uh, being approved by God. Some people like to just kind of 
not think about the verses in the Bible that talk about homosexuality or they try to explain them away. But let me say this. Even if you erase those verses, nowhere in there would you see God saying, it's okay, go ahead and do it. Now add that to the fact, I think we have several clear passages that teach us not to do it. It is against God's plan. And I'm not just talking about the temptation toward it. I'm not just talking about that awkward feeling that maybe you're attracted to somebody of the same gender. The sin comes when somebody engages in it, whether physically engaging in it or lusting in their heart or in their mind. That's what the sin is. And that's true of any temptation. And in that sense, homosexuality is just like every other sin. Temptation comes and we need to resist it. Even for the person who feels like they were born that way, that argument doesn't work because that argument doesn't work for any of the other sins that we see in this passage. Things like envy or gossip or murder. We don't just say, I was born that way and that gets us off the hook. Homosexuality is a twisting of God's plan. And actually that is true of any of the 26 sins that we see in this passage. The, the last word that we see in verse 26 um, is probably better translated as deception. It's a deception. Think about that. We have seen a huge cultural shift in our nation in the last 20 years. Everybody would agree with that, right? From 20 years ago until today, we've seen a huge, huge cultural shift. To the point where, according to one recent poll, 59% of people now support gay marriage. Um... And I would just simply like to say this, and I I don't want to be at all political about this, I just want to be Christian, theological about this. Homosexuality is not God's plan. It's just simply not. God's plan is that we would submit ourselves to him, that we would flee from any sin, whatever it is, that we would receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and follow him into what he has for us. And the gospel, the good news, is that God loves us even while we were sinners and that he has a new life for us. So part of the the good news of this is that God can take us out of wherever we have come from. And I want to read to you some powerful verses. I think these are very powerful. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. It starts off really bad, but it will be powerful. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Pretty bad news, right? And Paul, talking to the church in Corinth, which was a a pretty evil city, he said to them, And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see, the gospel changes us. We come as sinners to God. We come as people sinking in our paddle boats to God and God says, I can take care of that. I can forgive, I can cleanse. God justifies us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And when he does that, he doesn't just set us back in that same paddle boat with the same problems. He puts us into a new life. And we are supposed to follow him and figure out what that new life is. That's why Paul talks about sin. Because we need to recognize our need for forgiveness. 
That's why we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about sin. Sin is not God's plan. Whatever sin it is that you may be caught in, please know it is not God's plan for you. He has something better. Something better for you. So we need to respond to the gospel. And like I said last week, and I'll keep on saying, the gospel isn't just something that we embrace at the beginning of our relationship with God. It's something that we hold on to for the rest of our relationship with God. And in the gospel, we learn about new life. Okay? New life. But moving on now, I want to look at the rest of these sins. Verses 28 to 31. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. So in this passage, we see sins number 5 through 25. And verse 28 reminds us again, it's part of this exchange and God giving them over to sin. There's a play on words in verse 28 that's kind of hard to pick out in our English, but let me, let me try to translate it some way that might help you see what it's saying. Since they didn't consider knowledge of God as good, he gave them over to a bad mind. They made this choice about God's ways and said, no, nope, we don't like that. And God said, fine, you don't like that? I'm going to give you over to these bad ways, these evil ways. Having already exchanged the truth of God for a lie, sinners get into all kinds of sin. And we see a list of 21 of them here in these verses. Now, we might just gloss over a list like this or we might you know, try to nudge the person next to us and say, hey, that one that you struggle with, it's right there. I want us to think about our sin here. So look at that list again. Verses 29 through 31, just whether it's in your bulletin or in your Bible, just scan through that list and see, is there anything in here that you struggle with? Greed. Uh, gossip. Children, uh, how about this one? Disobedience to your parents. Heartlessness. Are there any of those in there that you struggle with? Let's take a good hard look in our lives. Let's see if there's any water getting into the boat. And if there is, let's just go to God and let him deal with it. And then verse 32. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So that's the 26th sin now. The first 25 sins would be sins that we commit. The 26th one is the sin of saying, that's just fine. Go ahead and do that. Now think about that. Our world today so often looks at sin and says, that's no problem. No problem at all. Go ahead and do it. Or think about our movies or TV or other media. So often what is called sin here is celebrated. We can, you can almost look at any sin on this list and you can see it celebrated in movies. And, and let me just say some things here that maybe will get me in some hot water with some people. But, uh, I, you know, I've already spoken about a lot of sins today. So if I hit close to home, please know that I'm not just picking on you. I'm picking on everybody. Think about movies that glorify sin. And I was thinking specifically about murder. So think about horror movies. 
There are people that are making millions of dollars off of these movies that glorify murder. And they make these movies in some ways hoping that you will cheer for the murderer. You know what that is? That is getting approval to sin. It might not seem like it. It might just seem like I'm just watching a movie. It's just for enjoyment. We have to be very careful about what we are giving approval of. And it's not just horror movies, by the way. It might just be a sitcom that talks too much about sex. It might be a soap opera that talks too much about envy. It could be a lot of things that we are giving approval to. We must not give approval to sin. Our culture is very ready to give approval. We must not. And then think about your own sin. The reason we sin pretty much every time is because we have said to ourselves, it's okay for me to do this. We justify it in our own minds. Let me say this. If we say that our sin is okay, we have a huge problem. The boat is sinking. So what do we do with a passage like this? It's pointed out sin. It's talked about wrath. What do we do? Well, the easy thing to do would be to ignore it. Say, I didn't like that one. I'm not going to go back there. Some churches or pastors wouldn't talk about a passage like this. But I'm thankful for this passage. I'm thankful for this passage because it tells us what the problem is. When I took my paddle boat to shore, I was glad that when I tipped it up, I saw that there was a problem. Imagine my boat going out to the lake and sinking, and I, I, try, I drag it back to shore, and I don't see anything wrong with it. That would be a bummer. But that's not what happens here in our passage. In our passage, God tells us all these things are going wrong, and he tells us where they came from. They came from our sinful desires, and remember that first step. I want to go to a time of application now. What did I say was the first misstep into sin? Verse 21, let's go back there. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. In this verse, I see a ray of hope. If we don't want to wander off into sin, we have a corrective right here. We can glorify God and give Him thanks. To glorify God means, of course, to praise Him, like singing to Him. But also, to glorify God is to live our lives the way that He wants us to. We give glory to God when we act the way that He says we should act. That glorifies Him. And then also thanking God. I think thanking God just means recognizing his presence and his goodness and saying thank you. And what are we to do? We are to do that continually throughout our lives. Give him glory. Thank him and praise him. And if we do that, we stay on the right track. If we don't do that, like it says in verse 21, we start, if we start to take our eyes off of God, we take our eyes onto something else and inevitably onto something sinful. So are you wandering from God? Perhaps you don't know. Perhaps you're in a time in your life where like, I, I wonder if I'm not as close to God as I should be. Perhaps you know that you're very much wandering right now and you're like, yeah, that's me. I am not as close to God as I should be. Here's a simple test for you. If you want to know are you wandering from God, here's the test. How often lately have you praised God and thanked him. 
Are you regularly turning your heart and your eyes towards God and saying, God, I praise you for who you are. God, I want to seek you to learn from you how I can live my life. If you're not saying those kinds of things to God, it could be because you're wandering and your boat is taking on water and you might not even realize it. A heart that yearns to honor God is a heart that stays close to God. And and the converse is true. If you don't seek God, you're going to wander from Him. So which is it for you? If the first misstep into sin is neglecting God, are you seeking Him and worshiping Him? Are you glorifying Him? That's the life I want to live where I constantly go back to Him and glorify Him. Verse 18 reminds us that the wrath of God is being revealed because people suppress the truth of God. You've heard lots of truth from God today. What's your response to it? Are you going to worship Him? Or are you going to say, I didn't like that one, I'm going to forget about that. I didn't like God pointing out my envy or my sexual impurity. What's it going to be for you? Let me ask a similar question. How does your heart respond to sin? Do you hate it? Do you hate sin? Do you flee from it? Or do you find ways to tolerate it and justify it? More and more, I hope that we are people who hate sin. When something is pointed out in our lives as sin, I would hope that we wouldn't try to say, oh, come on. Or, you know, I'm, you know, excuse me, that's just the way I am. I hope that we would say, I want that out of my life. If it's sin, it dishonors God, and I want to repent from it. I want to take it right to Jesus Christ for forgiveness and cleansing and new life. If you see water in your boat, deal with it. And in that regard, again, I am very thankful for this passage. This passage tells us where sin comes from and what we can do about it. We can go to God and glorify and thank Him. Next week, we're going to see how God wants us to repent. He invites us to repent. If we don't repent, though, He tells us that there's going to be wrath that's coming. Let's be people who deal rightly with our sin, taking it to Jesus, confessing it, and asking for forgiveness. And let's ask God to strengthen us to walk rightly with Him, glorifying Him and praising Him all along the way. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for this passage. Even though it might have been uncomfortable, we thank You for telling us what sin is. And God, I pray that every one of us in here would be humble enough to agree with You and Your Word about what sin is. And specifically, God, as we think about that sin of neglecting You or rejecting You, I pray that we would flee from sin and that we would flee towards you and that we would seek to live lives of glorifying you and thanking you. Thank you for the cross of Christ where we learn that our sins have been paid for and where we learn that you invite us into a new life. God, we thank you for that new life. We pray that you would strengthen us to live it. So God, give us wisdom now as we apply this passage. Help us to be humble about our sin and to flee from it and to worship you rightly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.